Chapter 7 Laura struggled in the clutches of sleep, its skeletal hands reaching at her from the void of infinite darkness. She was falling rapidly, her fingertips scraping against the imaginary walls around her, her hair lifting up at her sides as if carried by water, the air in her lungs escaping in a silent scream of horror. The way she always, since childhood, had entered her jar dreams. That was the name her psychiatrist, who did most of her talking to Laura's parents while Laura was still present in the room, had given these nightmares many, many years ago, back when Laura was barely old enough to recognize them as dreams and not reality. She usually had at least one to two a week, and more if a day had been hard on her. After closing her eyes and finally falling, unwillingly, to sleep, first came the white, dirt-dusted, bone fingers reaching for her from just above her head. Then this long sense of falling rapidly, but in some kind of slow motion. The sensation she associated with the unknown feeling of descending an underwater cavern. Feet first, allowing the water to pull at her from the ankles and run itself the length of her body, almost to the point of drowning where a final burst of air would escape out her mouth without the slightest sound, scurrying like an eel from her throat and back up to the surface far above her. Once at the bottom, the pressures of the water would release her from its grasp, and she would rise to her hands and knees, gasping for breath. It was always chilly, and as she stood up to dry off, she would realize that she was completely naked, right down to her bare feet. Her skin would tighten and her nipples ached from the cold air of this unfamiliar, dark place. The ground between her toes was an uncomfortably sharp, stabbing gravel. Her arms would clutch at her breasts and privates as her eyes strained in the darkness, trying to adjust to the small bits of light that crept through the thin cracks between wooden boards nailed up all around her. Then the light would begin to float with dust as the sound of falling water came from just outside. She was in her grandfather's shed, where the jars were kept. The scary jars that her father and younger brothers would often bring out to torment her. The ones they set on the dinner table to make her scream, or chase her playfully with through the backyard as she covered her eyes and ran into tree limbs that cut her elbows and knocked her down. The scary jars that held captive the most ugly and terrifying creatures of these woods. The ones that were small enough to fit into jars. Jars with the lids screwed on tightly, as her father had promised. With small nail holes poked in the tops. Nail holes that were too small, as he had promised as well, for whatever was inside to escape. But always, here, in the jar dreams, Laura's father and brothers were nowhere to be found. 
And she wasn't outside where she could run and hide. No, she was standing naked in this tiny confining shed where the jars were kept in the darkness. This was the place the creatures were left alone. And now Laura felt as trapped as them, feeling around and finding the wood walls not even an arm's length away at all sides. Above her was a single shelf where the jars sat in a row at its edge. Below her, poking at her knees, were the splintered handles of various gardening tools. It was a small space with not enough room to take a single step. Then, the light trails would fall onto each of the four jars, lighting their confines with unsettling clarity. The first jar was filled with murky green lake water. There were bits of gravel and a few decaying leaves lying at the bottom. A small black frog the size of a quarter swam at the surface, its webbed hands pawing at its own reflection in the glass. The next jar's interior consisted of a single strip of petrified bark, and resting on it without the slightest movement was a long and stoic brown mantis, holding to the bark in perfect stillness with wide and mechanically angled hind legs, its skin fading almost to the same shade of the dead wood beneath it, its two oversized arms held in prayer just below its chin. This insect, while rather large and muscular, could almost be passed over entirely unnoticed had it not been for its black, vacant eyes that dominated its otherwise non-existent face. Once Laura would find its eyes, the growing sexual excitement in its cold and constant gaze would cause her bowels to cramp and her arms to hold herself even tighter. The eyes would stand there at the top of the jar and look down on her as it chewed at the tips of its pointed hands. The sound of it eating would make Laura buckle over and spit up onto the tops of her bare feet. Then she would lift her eyes to the third jar where a large black spider with a horrifyingly bulbous white egg sac dragging from its rear maniacally clawed and poked at the walls of its jar. It would almost reach the lid before falling onto its back and hurriedly scrambling upright in the same circular attempt to escape. There was nothing in this jar but the spider. No rocks or sand or leaves. Just the cold, smooth glass walls to keep it from getting too comfortable, preserving it in a constant state of confused and angered fear. This way it would always run, always leap, and unfortunately, often hiss. When confronted with the jars in real life, the spider jar had always scared her the most. Its pointed and stabbing fangs, its black, merciless multitude of eyes, and the sack at its tail, pulsating with countless other baby spiders waiting to burst out and fill the jar with billions of razor-sharp tiny limbs. 
But here, in the dream, the spider jar only brought her closer to her own fear of being unable to escape. She felt as though the spider, with its spastic and urgent leaps and spins, was trying to warn her of something, as if there was something even more terrifying standing right behind her, and only the spider could see it. Its hiss rising to a shout as it beat at the glass and pointed its legs into the darkness just over her shoulder. But then the light would shift and fall into the fourth jar. Its lid would be resting upside down beside it, and a long vine grew up and out the top from a thick layer of soil inside. The skin of this vine was covered with red thorns and sharply pointed leaves. The vine curled gently over the rim of the jar and fell to the floor at her feet, where it wove among the rakes and shovels and disappeared somewhere behind them. Whatever was in this last jar had escaped, had climbed down the many thorns and leaves and now hid among the cobwebbed shadows of the shed. Laura would wrap her arms across her stomach and begin to sob as she fought to keep herself from vomiting. Her knees slamming into each other, her toes curling, burying into the earth. But before she could let out a scream, a hand would lightly touch her on the shoulder. Then Caleb Caulfield would emerge from the darkness beside her, wiping his bloody fingers on her skin and smiling with his broken teeth. There would be a blood-soaked and jaggedly ripped open carcass of a hairless cat in his other hand. He'd lift it into the light, its body mutilated almost beyond recognition, split from its nostrils to its anus with one crude slice. Caleb's eyes would twinkle with childlike pride while he whispered, I killed it for you. Laura would always wake up screaming from the jar dreams, each one practically the same, although sometimes the cat would be a bird or a pair of her blood-soaked panties. One time it had even been a dead, newborn baby, although Laura had never mentioned that one to anybody. Sometimes the jars would be reversed and came with different omens. Sometimes the frog would be dead and floating on its back. The spider would have given birth, its body being eaten by its young as it decayed in a gray pool of mold against the base of the jar. A really scary version had once positioned the mantis so that its back was turned, and when she looked to find Caleb standing at her side instead was the mantis itself, the size of a human. But it wasn't holding anything. It only lunged at her with its mouth open before she awoke out of breath and covered in sweat. But these memories, so horrifying and violent, would scramble in her head like glass marbles and fall out her nose and eyes as she jumped from bed and ran to the bathroom to pee and wipe her face, sometimes taking long moments to inspect her body in the mirror for scratches or marks where she still felt the slightest bits of imaginary pain. 
But then she would force herself to sleep again, a strength she had formed during her years as a teenager, not wanting to wake her parents up every time one of these nightmares happened. She'd see the childishness in her younger brother's fears and realize that the dreams always came to an end. Frightening as they might be, she could sit up in the darkness of her room and talk herself back to sleep by telling herself it wasn't real and that she was okay. The hum of the fan in the yellow Econo Lodge bathroom was soothing Laura back to reality as she sat on the toilet and stared at her hands. Trying to relieve her stomach from the cramps the latest jar dream had given her, it was almost four in the morning. Her latest dream had been the basic form of frog to mantis to spider to empty hanging vine and then to Caleb. But this time, instead of a dead cat, Caleb held out a phone receiver as if he'd lifted it from a payphone and was offering it to her. Caleb hadn't said anything in the dream either, and he looked less scary too. But Laura had still been naked. This new version was bothering her. The palms of her hands were red and streaked pale white from bawling her fists in her sleep. She thought about the dead shark from the television, the two fishermen dropping it onto its side with a stiff thud against the plastic floor of the boat, the shark just lying there, empty of everything, its mouth hanging open. Laura thought about the frog with its nose touching the surface of the water, barely staying afloat to survive. She pulled at the roll of toilet paper and rolled her eyes at herself. Then she got up and opened the door. She walked back out into the room where only moments before she'd helped Dan off the floor and onto the bed. She'd removed his shoes and socks for him while he sleepily undressed himself and pawed at her breasts with his eyes closed. Now he was turned on his side and passed out with his back to her side of the bed. She climbed in next to him and hoped for a better dream.